Welcome back to another episode of At Least Is Not Rocket Science. I'm your host, Nathaniel, accompanied by my co-host, JJ, and accompanied by my co-host, Kyle. And we are joined by a very special guest and or guests today, depending on the time. So why don't you introduce yourself? All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me. Uh, my name is Nick Miller, and I am currently one of the team leads for the High Altitude Liquid Engine team here at OSU. Um, so won't dive too much into the uh, actual what we do at Hale just quite yet. Um, but basically, we are a liquid engine rocket team. Um, and so I've been kind of managing that so far this year. And by liquid engine, I'm assuming you don't mean like a bottle rocket with like Coke and Mentos? Nope, this is the <laughs> real deal. It's uh, um, basically we're using uh, two fluids, um, kerosene uh, or RP1 as our uh, fuel and then liquid oxygen as our o oxidizer. Um, so they're, they're pretty fun to deal with, especially uh, liquid oxygen being cryogenic temperatures. Um, <laughs> you gotta keep it around negative 297 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so that's a, it's a fun thing to work with. There's but, a lot of yeah. uh, parts that go into the project. I, I think that we can safely say that, that Hale is one of the most complicated projects that we've talked about. Considering Hale is like multi-year, right? And then mm -hmm. well, a lot of the other projects are, you know, yearly. And Hale has been going on for, when did Hale actually start here at OSU? I believe 2018, so mm -hmm. it's been pretty iterative. Um, some previous teams have worked on, like, there's a, a horizontal test stand out at the uh, propulsion lab, um, and so they've put a lot of work into that and uh, the Mira 1 engine. Um, but, yeah, moving into this year, we're primarily working on uh, two things. So there's a, a vertical test stand, basically. Um, this is a trailer that we kind of hook up uh, the... Um, the full thing too to basically do tests and uh, test fires for engines um, as well as launches from so eventually um, when we get into actually launching subscale hopefully should be next year um, it'll be a 30 foot tall launch rail and then Jeez. when we get to full wow. scale it'll be uh, 60 feet tall <laughs> Wow, it's gonna be that's, uh, impressive. That's a, uh, yeah. that's a rocket <laughs> <Yeah>. right there. <laughs> so, but before we get into yeah, that, I was gonna say, yeah, we should probably get a little bit about yourself. And yeah, what brought you here? Like, what what inspired all of this? Yeah, so I'm originally from uh, Northern California, a small town called Sebastopol, not not Sevastopol, Ukraine, but <laughs> Sebastopol, <gonna> California. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, basically um, lived there up until uh, college. And so um, after high school, kind of went up here and uh, toured Oregon State and saw their engineering program and pretty much fell in love with it pretty, pretty quick, um, as well as Oregon, you know, any, any Californian coming to, coming to Oregon. <laughs> you, you, you see green. You, you see green. <laughs> yeah. and, like trees. Wow. Green, then, uh, water. Yep. And, and so that, that sold me, too. But, um, yeah, came up here, uh, toured. Oregon State, um, and then uh, shortly thereafter started uh, started coming to school here. So did you originally come up, so you said you toured their engineering program. Did you know what you wanted to do from a young age? Like when you came up here, was it originally for, did you have engineering in mind, but did you know mechanical and aerospace immediately? Or was that something that kind of stemmed from your childhood? 
I definitely knew aerospace for pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I, I like grew up with like uh, stickers of rockets on my wall and, you, <laughs> you know, all that good stuff. Um, you know, growing up too, I, I would always say I want to be uh, rich enough or smart enough to get to space. <laughs> um, you know, as, as you kind of get older, you realize what's what's more realistic and what's less. Um, you got to live so, your dreams. So kind of kind of banking on the smartest right now. There but you go. Smartness. But um but yeah, just always been super interested in it. And then, um, you know, going from realizing that, okay, an astronaut may not be as, as much of a, a good um, <laughs> good position in terms of being feasible, um, then I, I just really wanted to, to help make um, these launches possible. Um, so really just got super into rocketry in general um, and eventually, um, trying to get people to Mars. <laughs> yeah. That's you, the, that's the main goal, but you know, it's funny cause one step at a time, <laughs> you and I are more similar than, uh, I probably realized from before, uh, astronaut is still my goal. And I think that you're forgetting a layer there's richest and smartest, but then also you forget what got you here in the first place, which is passion. That's true. There's a level of that, that, that with goals that you have, you know, literally sky high, right. Or like the stars are the limit. Yep. You could still be astronaut. You just have to have a master's or have a, th a thousand pilot in command hours of jet aircraft. <laughs> Which was always funny, too, because because uh, growing up, I was like, I always got super annoyed. I was like, I don't want to be a pilot first in order, yeah, I know. To, in order to become an astronaut. I was yeah. like, can't I just skip that stuff? To get a master's. And now, you know, YouTubers are going to, to the moon soon. Yep. So <laughs> that's that's what that's my plan is to get my master's. Everyday astronaut. astronaut, right? Yep. He's one of them. That, yeah. Hold on. A YouTuber is going to the I missed this. Yeah, yeah so uh, there's there's this really cool program called uh, Dear Moon, um, and basically it's like a whole bunch of uh, YouTubers and, and influencers in quotes, but um, yeah, I hate that word, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they all uh, I can't remember the the name of the guy who started it, but he he basically funded the whole thing. Um, they were originally supposed to do it with uh, Falcons, but um, mm -hmm. Falcon Nines. Um, but then they kind of pushed it back, and, and now as long as a uh, Starship has a orbital launch and a few more tests, they should be uh, should be going for a trip around the moon. Yeah, I'm definitely banking on Holy on being in the right environment to go through with the Artemis program. I'm the right height. I can pass the physical. <laughs> I just need yep. to get my master's, and then I have an avenue in. I always say I was just telling Nathaniel about this today. My motto that I've lived by quite often is it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Mm -hmm. So it's like as long yeah. as I'm always pushing for it, I can I will always have the drive because most astronauts, most of them are probably in their 30s. You know, like I've got plenty of time. Yeah, like I, I mean, I feel like Tim Dodd is a great example because like he he has said before he, he didn't want to go to space. He like exactly that wasn't the, that wasn't the goal. That wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, part of what he was doing. He just wanted to like help people learn about it basically yeah. and, and teach it. I uh, my plan right now is to when I graduate from OSU, I would like to go down and get my master's at Arizona State University. And I was actually looking to see if there's any astronauts from Oregon, and it turns out that there are, and one of them graduated from Oregon State University and got their master's at ASU. <laughs> and I was like, oh, the path. Looks, <laughs> looks like I had the right Great ideas. minds think alike. Yeah, great yeah. minds think alike, right? So you knew from a young age. That's awesome. Again, we're very similar in that respect. You knew aerospace immediately. Um, but so, oh yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say before you came to Oregon State, did you launch any rockets, like any model rockets or anything? Or I did Cocomentos. <laughs> nope. <not laughs> Cocomentos. Yeah, I, I didn't at all. Um, I didn't really know what was possible, what was out there. Mm -hmm. um, so then, yeah, really, the first launch I did was actually with uh, Hart, the high altitude rocket team. Yes. Um, and I guess that was about last year. So. 
Um, a little bit more background about um, when I started. I, when I first started here, um, actually just about, just over four years ago, um, I started working for the College of Forestry IT help desk because mm. you know I've always been a, a technology nerd as well. So yeah. it's, it's been a kind of kind of nice to work in that that field too. Um, yeah, and then uh, after that started, you know, COVID hit. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think about junior year um, was getting real tired of doing classes online, and uh, you know, engineering gets a, a little rough when it's over Zoom. Yeah. So yep. Um, yeah. So then um, I contacted the uh, team lead. Um, it was uh, Aaron Acuna for the high altitude rocket team, um, and pretty much asked if I could go to one of their launches. And so they had uh, a launch as what's it's called as a. Uh, uh, boosted dart. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so basically it's just, this year, I think too. Yep. And so basically it's just a uh, two stage, but the second stage has uh, pretty much just concrete in it. <laughs> um, pretty much to simulate the the, the weight of the motor. Yep. Yeah. Weight yep. of the motor and like pretty much all the aspects of recovery. Um, and so yeah, I drove out to um, Bend, stayed the night there, and then uh, <laughs> you know went out to to Brothers, Oregon, and probably like five in the morning. And uh, saw that launch, <laughs> saw that launch, and I was like, "Wow, you can do this in college." <laughs> You're like, "This is it. This is that's this is what pretty I much be doing. what sold me." So uh, yeah, from then on, I've been extremely involved with AIAA. Um, I pretty much, you know, all, all the classes and stuff are, are extremely helpful as well. But like, uh, it it was really just a, a way to um, follow my passion <laughs> and get that so hands -on experience. get that hands on. Yep. Cause you know, there's, there's certain things like even with Halo, I was like, you know, you don't really learn how to apply thread tape until your senior year. You're like, wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm missing some aspects of this. Um, but yeah, so then got involved with heart. Um, and then shortly thereafter became a team lead for heart last year. Um, so it wasn't actually for my capstone project. It was just for, um just for fun for me <laughs> so yeah i put in quite a few hours but i i saw the opportunity and uh and definitely wanted to take it so strike while the iron's hot yep so took so that and i'm super happy with you were how a, it went but you were a team lead before capstone yep for heart so i was technically a volunteer rare. team lead it yeah. is it is pretty rare but um you know i just i wanted to see this thing launch so bad uh, I saw what, what it taught students, um, saw saw where it was getting them. You know, we know so many people now, like Blue Origin, Stoke Space, right, uh, right. Firefly, NASA, Relativity, like all these different like uh, rocket companies and startups. Um, so I, I saw that too, and I was like, this is a this is an in. <laughs> so sure. now, did you guys launch out of BlackRock or Spaceport? We did BlackRock. BlackRock. Um, that was a, that was a whole experience too, especially when our uh, uh, L three flyer record is his car actually broke down out oh. there. <laughs> so uh, luckily we had a uh, um, uh, one of the other team leads, Vadim uh, Kachan. He is uh, uh, super good with the cars, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so he helped him out a, a bit, but uh, fix it up. Helped fix it up, but yeah, it was. Uh, I think we got like seven or eight launches in last year. Wow. With Hart, um, the last one didn't really go quite as planned. We we had a couple issues. Um, we had a uh, um, shoot eject early, which was not mm -hmm. great. So uh, basically, uh, it ejected while the motor was still firing, the booster motor. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be kind of hard to picture this so without video, but basically the shoot ejected, and then the airframe just kind of like went, went through straight it. through it. So, yeah. <laughs> so the mm. the airframe's kind of just wearing it like a skirt, sort of a deal. Um, yeah. Which was, you know, nobody else has, has seen that either. So that was a pretty crazy moment, but. 
Um, yeah, and then because that happened, the uh, tilt angle was um, over the 15 degree lockout. Mm -hmm. um, so then, you know, the second stage does not ignite for mm -hmm. safety reasons, Thankfully, which is a great thing. I'm so <laughs> happy that happened. Uh, as much as it sucks that it didn't ignite, it was, uh, you know, if it did, that would have been a, a missile. So, <laughs> yeah. So I was actually going to ask, I was thinking about this the other day. So we've, we've talked with, this is a non-hail, this is a heart-related question. Yep. But, uh, so like the Telemega, I'm assuming it was a Telemega and Easy Mega with mm -hmm. the lockout they were using. So when you have that second ignition stage, there is like a two stage in the Telemega, or do you have it just at the apogee? Uh, you have the fire wire that would essentially be running your black powder just up in the next motor. We essentially have uh, two two whole AV bays, so mm -hmm. one in each stage. Yeah. Um, and then a, a Telemega in and an Easy Mega as a backup in the uh, booster, and then a Telemega and Easy Mega in the sustainer. Um, and so you really did have to run the wires all the way down. Um, to the uh, sustainer motor, mm -hmm. and then it was completely reliant. So, because you know, if you're trying to be reliant on a, a flight computer that's not no longer attached to it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes it a little difficult. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that that was the angle lockout that it hit on that on that sustainer one. So. Okay. So now getting into hail, you briefly yep. gave us a nice preview earlier. So high altitude liquid engine. We're we're not talking, you know. Like I keep saying, Coke and Mentos. <laughs> and so you said kerosene and what was the other one? Liquid oxygen, right? Liquid oxygen. And yep. so I was going to ask, so kerosene and liquid oxygen. So we know that there's multiple different types of liquid engines, right? So is there a reason why you specifically chose kerosene? I know liquid oxygen is pretty standard, but like the, not that's the oxidizer, the actual fuel. Is there a reason why you chose kerosene or RP1? It's a pretty simple design decision basically um kind of comes down to cost <laughs> yep, <that laughs> um, guess. and so you know it's a uh, um i think like the rp1 i don't know too much about it specifically but it's uh uh less refined than than uh typical uh rp1 like used with uh you know other other the rockets in, in, in the industry yeah um and so basically it's just it's cheaper <laughs> okay I was that's, gonna, that's I was pretty much ask. why um yeah, if you refine it better or if you say like do that extra investment of money what does it increase like the efficiency of fuel like do you get a higher impulse or i more power i think it would increase basically the efficiency okay. um because you know if you have higher purity than than uh, when you do have that combustion then you're basically getting higher thrust um yeah. for the same amount of fuel that makes sense yeah you're i remember your team is pretty unique as well because you have pretty much all the other sub teams of like rocket team like you've got your well i guess you don't really have a payload <laughs> You have your, your aero recovery propulsion, whether that's one or multiple. Probably it's different ones. There's the aero, and then there's the recovery aspect, and then there's the propulsion, and then you probably have your structures, and then the you also – Yeah, I was going to say there's the test stand, the and also you have the trailer, stand. right? Yep. So let me let me give you a, a brief overview of the sub-teams real quick. Um, so this year we have uh, – Really, I mean, it's kind of like three main sub-teams, but when, when it comes down to it, it's, it's pretty much like four or five. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one is for the vertical test stand, or VTS is what we call it for short. Um, and basically that is just the entire trailer. So building that thing, um, getting it, it ready to go for, for any tests or, or launches that we, we need to do from it. Um, and then there's the integration sub-team. Um, this oh, is a very, it's, yeah, this is wow. a, a sub team and it's a very broad sub team. Um, it's basically just the entire subscale launch vehicle. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, a lot of work, but, um, I mean, in previous years they have, um, basically designed, uh, like the liquid oxygen tank, the kerosene tank, 
Um, the engine is being um, uh, designed and manufactured through uh, uh, graduate students. Um, and then, yeah, and then there's a, a lot of other components, like the, the main valves uh, is one thing that the actually last capstone team worked on. Mm -hmm. um, if Connor was able to, to join us, he, he was <laughs> one of the, the main guys who worked on that. Um, but yeah, and then um, one of the most important ones is uh, avionics and recovery. Um, so as you guys have probably heard in previous podcasts or from the, the man Joe Bevier himself, 75% um, <laughs> of rockets fails, fail at the uh, recovery stage. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's pretty huge for us because uh, we don't know weights quite yet, but it's projected to be like around 300 pounds. So, yeah. uh, so you're carrying your own tanks and everything, yep, and so you got to be pretty high up there. So you could launch, I mean, I don't weigh 300 pounds, but you could easily <laughs> launch me. <laughs> put a, put some, a lawn chair on the some side zip ties. There, yeah. <laughs> We were thinking about throwing a, a stuffed beaver on ballast. there or something. But yeah, so that's a, a very difficult task for our team. Um, we're also trying to do fully custom flight computers um, oh, wow. uh, for, for a couple reasons. So one, we need to actuate all of the valves um, like pretty much independently with a computer. Trying to trust a, a Telemega to do that is a, a little risky. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, we just pretty much need to design those in-house. So we have uh, uh, one guy that's, that's um, working on that the most right now. Um, and then... Uh, recovery. Um, I've seen a lot of failures with uh, shock cords, and so your shock cord pretty much needs to to withstand the force of the parachute ejecting, uh, also known as the snatch force. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it really needs to be able to withstand that if it's going to be three, using Kevlar pounds. Um, most likely Kevlar or nylon. That's kind of been a um, we haven't quite ordered them yet because we don't know no weights yet, so we're not trying to step too far ahead. I was gonna say, how thick do you think it'll be? The inch? thickest ones that are offered. <laughs> half inch. So we, we bought half inch for our ours is not three hundred pounds, but yeah. we're overkilling on purpose. That's the whole name of our rocket at this point is overkill. Overkill. I like it because we we've been over. Uh, shout out to Gary, our our mentor is probably listening right now. He's awesome. He is awesome, and every time he comes in, like. I like designed our our AV, AV bay, bay like mm -hmm. beautifully in like Siemens NX. Like I got these perfect little like mechanical switches that fit. They're just slip fit in there. They're not even like glued. It's all perfect. It's, perfect. it's beautiful. And Gary was like, "Yeah, this is beautiful, but like you could have just like made this out of like one board and some plywood essentially." <laughs> and I'm like, "You know what? It's got a safety factor." Yeah, we're 50. doing we're doing, <laughs> we're doing overkill. But Gary, he's 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 been very encouraging to us. Like you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. I think is mm -hmm. what Kyle and I keep saying. Yeah, so. he was actually um, uh, the RSO, um, Range Safety Officer, mm -hmm. I think is what that stands for, yeah. um, for our launch with Hart last year, um, a few of them actually. Mm -hmm. And one of them we did was actually a single stage. So we just weren't you know, done manufacturing the second stage. So we're like, you know, we, we, need, we need to test this motor like uh, outside of the, the actual static fires that we've done. Um, just try integrating it and basically like test that during a flight. Yeah. Um, he 100% thought it was going to blow up. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, a lot of us did too, but um, but that thing was such a beautiful flight. I think it reached like 20, 28,000 feet. Um, wow. That's which, like 
I'm trying to think what's the I mean, that's like nine times our height that we're going for you. Yeah, it was like a, oh, if I can remember this data, I think it was a, a max velocity of uh, Mach 3.2. <laughs> Whoa! And uh, that thing was uh, amazing. So um, just soaring, just just wow. soaring. Yep. That's like what is that like 1,900 miles per hour? Just about a little extra. Mm, I'm not gonna try to do the calculation. It's like head, what, but <laughs> what does the speed of sound like? 650 miles per hour. Give or take. Give or take. So, yeah, it's like, that's fast. Well, yep. fast. We'll call it fast. I think I only know that in uh, meters per second. 343. <laughs> yeah. That's Americans, though. All these um. conversions, right? <laughs> All but, these conversions. Yeah, that was beautiful with, with Gary. But anyway, um, going back to the sub-teams, then we also have a couple uh, more that are pretty much, like, grad student-based, but um, so they're, like, pretty involved, but, you know, not part of the capstone team. Um, and so that's uh, propulsion. Um, so they, they work with a lot of like um, uh, stuff with the horizontal test stand um, and really like the engine overall um, in development. Uh, we have a, a engine called Mira 2 coming up. So <laughs> we, we have one, Mira 1. Um, we tested that one to failure. And then, um, yeah, moving to Mira 2. We were actually planning to use Mira 1 for the subscale vehicle um, and then um, a little more testing later, we realized that, you know, the, the pintle injector is slightly off center. Mm -hmm. And so basically it just kind of erodes the wall <laughs> of mm. the uh, combustion chamber. Um, and so we were like, yeah, this is just going to, it's basically setting us up for failure. So <laughs> <laughs> so let's just, uh, you know, take our time a little bit more and, and develop Mira 2. Is, is Mira an acronym for something? Um, it is not that I know of. It's just a, uh, um, it's basically a uh, constellation or a star in a, ah, in a okay. constellation. That makes more sense. We were, we were trying to think of a name for the subscale vehicle and one uh, we thought of was Cetus, <laughs> which means whale. But <laughs> whale in Latin. I was going to say, I remember seeing that on the Discord. It's like that freaky monster looking thing. Yep, like, like, the, like a the sea graphic. monster. Yeah, so but basically because <laughs> uh, the Mira star is in the Cetus constellation. Right. So you're like, there's a connection there. There's a cool mm -hmm. one. Nice nerdy engineering connection. I appreciate but, it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it'd be cool if you put like a, a Cetus decal on your full scale. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Really cool. Like the, like the Wiggler 2 ones? You know, oh, like yeah, how they had like had drawn monsters, on like Betty know? Boop. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to ask, so you mentioned all these launches you did with Heart for Hale. Have you guys has it launched before with Mira One, or has it all been like testing? It's been building up to this moment. It's pretty much all been building up to this. So, um, yeah, they've done uh, static fires on mm -hmm. the horizontal uh, test stand, mm -hmm. which um, that's pretty much the last sub team because um, they. It's not really. It's basically just grad students as well. But um, yeah, you know, it's from from previous years that that thing is a beauty out out at the propulsion lab. Um, and basically allows for, you know, as it sounds, uh, a test uh, horizontally. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you mount the, the engine on there horizontally and then um, gives you a whole bunch of data. With uh, We have, like, temperature sensors and pressure sensors all over the place and uh, um, load cells to, to measure, like, the force and, and thrust. Um, yeah. And so basically it's all been kind of leading up to subscale. Um, that's kind of been a... Uh, difficult portion for us because a lot of a lot of companies that you know were wanting to sponsor us they're like you need to you know show you're uh, capable first and, and that's what we're trying to do this year <laughs> and Dude. so it's it's been a and you're also saying subscale this doesn't even be the full scale flight so is Mira 2 going is it going to be the same liquid engine or is the the final one going to be bigger the final one will be Mira 3, and so Jeez. that one is uh, also in development. We um, really haven't looked into full-scale much. 
um but because it's 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 so far out yeah. we're like what you know one step at a time in terms of like improvements and stuff from from subscale i think we can um, give some input on that you know especially since it's such a iterative project um, mm -hmm. when uh, you know an entire capstone team starts from not necessarily from scratch but basically like starts learning from scratch mm -hmm. and then and trying to build off of what previous teams have done um yeah just trying to document that has been really important for us but yeah so that'll be mira three and then um mira two for this subscale um and just a, a quick overview of uh the subscale as well so it's basically a pressure fed rocket um as compared to like a, a fuel fed mm -hmm. um the full scale should be a fuel fed um but the subscale um it's it's not really <laughs> feasible for that um and so Basically, what that means is we have this thing at the top of the uh, um, rocket called a COPV. Um, it's a carbon overwrapped uh, pressure vessel. And we um, pretty much just fill that thing up to with nitrogen uh, up to about, I think, like 5,000 PSI. Wow. Um, and then basically that just pushes uh, the liquid oxygen and kerosene uh, down into the combustion chamber into the engine. Um, doing that, the work for you. That's where the magic happens. <laughs> the magic, uh, the magic, yep. the smoke that makes With it the, go. Yep, and then there's also a uh, Pintle injector, and so that's been uh, in the engine. Um, basically, um, I actually saw it on, on Wikipedia the other day. Yeah. With, um, <laughs> saw saw Mira like 1, you know, under the Pintle injector. Uh, saw Mira nice. 1 with Oregon State. I was like, hey, awesome. yeah. who put that on there? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then there's also a uh, Pintle injector. And typically what um, teams have done is they've used um, their fuel through the Pintle injector. Mm -hmm. um, whereas us, this is something that I'm not sure why the design decision was made. And I'm, I'm still <laughs> trying to figure it out. Um but we're basically putting the liquid oxygen through the pintle injector in the center of the engine, and then um, the kerosene will be basically on the outside um, for that mixture. And so <laughs> it's uh, something I'm still trying to figure out. But I think from so I worked with the grad students last year when uh, I believe Flaherty was here still, and uh, the reasoning behind that was because they would create like a boundary layer that would cool the pintle so it wouldn't burn from the combustion. I think that's that's what I heard last. That would actually make sense because um, I know uh, it's not as intuitive, but liquid oxygen um, burns a lot hotter <laughs> uh, yeah. than the kerosene. So um, I guess pretty much like a uh, cooling. I don't know if you could call it active cooling. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Air cooled. The, right. There's been some some talk about trying to do uh, uh, regenerative cooling <laughs> through you know through the uh, uh, through the engine, but that's a, a whole other other ball game especially with a uh, thrust vector control that's another project that's been been worked on it's like yeah let's let's get subscale off the ground first I think, <laughs> so yeah, that's amazing oh so say, how big in diameter is subscale currently projected up so this one is um about 6.25 inches oh in diameter. it's uh it's not very wide <laughs> actually not uh, very not wide he says yeah. we have a six for our full scale for usli it's six inches yeah. and we're like wow that's huge yep so what what is the scaling factor for this subscale or is that not determined yet so basically going to full scale it'll be a it's projected to be a full foot diameter um, which Holy that thing is going to be massive. Uh, we've run into a lot of issues with subscale where um, we can't really fit um, certain like electric actuators or you know certain components. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. They just literally don't fit in that diameter. Um, and as it is too, we're going to be having um, 
a lot of universities do this, but we're going to have uh, uh, plumbing that goes outside of the rocket and then goes back in. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's going to look a little janky, but, um, you know, throw some uh, aero covers on there some raceways and if it works it works yeah the main goal for this thing is uh i mean as much as you know we we absolutely love like a fully successful flight to roughly thirty thousand feet if it's going to be as heavy as we expect i don't think it'll make it that far <laughs> but like really the end goal is like get off the ground and don't blow up the vertical test stand <laughs> at the same time because step one step one is don't blow up because uh yeah Man. that would be a I've seen some university launches and, you know, they uh, end up launching and it doesn't get off the ground and kind of just explodes. And you're like, well, there goes your your launch vehicle and your test stand. So well, cause that would be a very expensive setback for the team. Yeah. The test stands also, it's not just like a rail that's on this cart. It actually has like your oxidizer and your it's fuel. Massive. Yep, and, and so those will be like separate tanks that are right. pretty much set next to it. Um, and they and fill it up right on the test stand when you're just ready to like fly, a right? yep. just like a launch on NASA, yeah. right? Yep, a uh, whole quick di disconnect system mm -hmm. as well. Um, that basically just needs to like disconnect quickly right before for the launch. <laughs> pretty self-explanatory too, but um, <laughs> yeah. So that thing is uh, gonna have a, a lot of work put into it, but is really gonna pay off for future years. Um, so so when do you plan on launching? So we were hoping a little optimistically <laughs> that we would launch this June. Mm -hmm. um, about, you know, halfway through the project, we're like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, there's a few reasons that went into that. Um, one being, you know, if we're, if we're rushing this thing um, and then something goes wrong, you know, because of something that either could have been prevented or, you know, that we were just like moving too quick sort of a thing yeah um that's just it's it's not a great decision to make <laughs> and that would make me feel sick to my stomach so uh um yeah basically just you know documenting everything as much as we can and then mm -hmm. kind of taking our time and, and moving do through. it right rather than do it do fast. it right rather than yep try and try and do it right the first time <laughs> yeah that makes which is very difficult sense. i mean if we um you know had like a, a ton of money we could easily go out there and you know launch a few times and say okay that didn't work and then you know try again sort of a thing but um, realistically that's not not a very feasible even really in industry most of the time it's not not very feasible unless you're you're getting a billionaire back funding you know i was gonna ask too uh your team, no one, well, if you've been to some of the AIAA meetings, you would know which team Hale is because they're usually half the room. Um, <laughs> yep. It's funny seeing, like, teams like, okay, so, like, we've interviewed, uh, you, you guys are the last team that we haven't interviewed. We interviewed every other AIAA team. I'd say the average number of members is probably, like, five or six. At, and then, like, we're, like, eight and then Hart's probably like eight to 10. And then you guys are like, with volunteers included, probably is like 20, 25 or more. Yeah, including volunteers, we got, I mean, like just on our uh, Discord, we have like, I think around 20 to 30 volunteers that are like <laughs> yeah. not really super active, but wanting to be um, more involved. Can we borrow um, some? <laughs> <laughs> I know, we're, we're still short. Like we, that's what we feel I know, like, that's what but, I was gonna ask is um, like, it's a lot of work. Yeah, like. and then we have, um, think 13 capstone members um 
And so, you know, it seems more like more compared to, to these other teams. Mm -hmm. but, but when you get down to it, having a full sub team with uh, like being integration, <laughs> like the entire vehicle, um, you know, having like five people on that sub team is still very difficult. Yeah. How is the labor dis distributed against all this huge team, you know? Yep, pretty much just by sub team, um, and so then you know you get into each sub team like integration, um, and you you have to divide that even more. So, um, you know, like I've been doing a lot of work with uh, um, actually getting the airframes from um, Innovative Composite Engineering is what they're called, ICE, super mm -hmm. cool company. Um, we actually did a, a tour of them recently, but um, yeah, so getting the airframes and really uh, <laughs> um, pretty much just getting like everything. Um, a lot of the mounting structure um, and uh, nose cone, um, how everything integrates with like the avionics bay, um, that kind of stuff. And then um, Josh Miller, the, not related, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one of the main other guys on integration has been taking on like a, um, a lot of the valve work and how they're being actuated, um, pretty much like everything in terms of the internal structure. Um, so with this thing, we're trying to essentially just make it one full independent internal structure that we can then just pretty much slide into the airframe and then uh, radially bolt in um, for all the, the mounting locations. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, and then plus getting into manufacturing, um, that's technically what we were getting into this, this term, but we're really just trying to um, finish designs and, and get that documentation down. Um, and so, yeah, uh, there's a, a few things that we need to do. Like, uh, the nose cone was, a um, fiberglass mold from, from last year that was completely done in house. Um, it, they had some issues. <laughs> um, there was, there's some like divots and stuff in it. So they, uh, um, they were actually, I think they were kicked out of the building halfway through the curing process. So <laughs> it smelled a little too bad, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. So then it's like kind of going through and fixing some of that stuff of like, you know, epoxy fillers and, and sanding it down. Um, and then just really putting everything together, uh, a uh, whole bunch of fittings that kind of add up in price. And then, um, uh, the bulkheads and stuff too. Um, some of that requires some special machining, CNC and that kind of stuff um, to get the designs that we really need. So, so you got an all hands on deck situation. <laughs> yep, <laughs> okay. pretty much. And then going to VTS, they have a, a whole separate thing, like one person working on the water deluge system, um, one person working on like hydraulic system to like lift the, the launch rail. Um, they have people doing uh, pressure calculations to determine, you know, how much uh, pressure losses they're going to get from uh, during fueling. Um, uh, the quick disconnects—that's pretty a pretty involved project too. You need to make sure those things uh, can actually disconnect under under cryogenic temperatures. Um, I'm probably not even mentioning half the stuff, but um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot that goes into all that. And then. Recovery avionics, they have a, a whole thing too. It's just, you know, making sure shock cords don't rip and uh, um, sizing parachutes and um, making sure that um, the ejection can actually happen at um, either apogee, highest point in the, the launch, um, or at a certain altitude. Um, and then in addition to that, um, uh, actuating all the valves, making sure that those those are actuated at the right times and everything. So, I remember uh, working with Recovery as well with Ryan. Um, 
we're thinking about doing a CO2 ejection charge. Is that still still on the table or is that? Yes. So we actually um, met with Portland State University recently um, and they have a fantastic um, a design for electromechanical system. Oh. Um, and it's been kind of in the talks before, but um, after seeing that, we're like, OK, this is this is probably the way to go. Um, you know, it's it's very different because, you know, they have a completely different uh, rocket and structure. Right. And, and they're using like the airframe as their structure, not just doing an internal structure. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot that needs to go into that still. Um, and because of that, we're saying, OK, let's just design a CO2 system and then uh, full scale can can try to use uh, electromechanical. Um, electromechanical for, for those listening is basically just a um, bunch of servo motors or some sort of um, electric system that can then separate the two airframe physically, sections right. physically um, and then just you know be have compressed <laughs> springs that will uh, essentially separate the two sections this and this is one stage right the the Ohio yep. okay I was gonna ask too because from your either website or from your presentation what is the goal it's like 385,000 feet like the Carmen, Carmen line, Carmen line. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's around it's it's not really I don't think there's a, a there's not exact, a defined, defined number, exact right? number but I think it's around like three hundred and twenty thousand three hundred twenty thousand um, a hundred kilometers for <laughs> non-Americans is, is a better is a better yeah, uh, uh, yeah that's for that but that will be I mean at that point <laughs> have you okay so I know that you mentioned you mentioned that you haven't looked into the full scale too much but I'm just I'm just thinking now like at that height not only that height you're going to have to worry about drift and the <laughs> physical earth turning underneath the rocket on the way back down, right? Do you have any idea how far it's going to go? Because at that altitude, that thing could move, what, <laughs> 62 miles is what Kyle is yeah. pointing out to us. At 62 miles bad. up, and then depending on when your parachute deploys, which I imagine you'd probably try to do closer to Apogee, the better, and to, in order to prevent it from just, you know, hitting like terminal velocity on the way back down. Yep. So have you have any idea how far it's going to drift? Um, I'm actually not sure. Um, we do have a simulation that's based in Python. It's uh, one of um, a previous member's uh, thesis. And so oh. it's it's uh, very involved, but it's a, it's a little buggy. <laughs> so I've <laughs> yeah. um, been, been trying to learn Python as well as you know, uh, fix that thing. Is that uh, Trevor's? Uh, yeah, Trevor yeah. Rose. Yep. So, yep, it's a amazing, amazing simulation, but also, you know, still having trouble with it. So, so that should give us some some data on that. Um, I was going to ask because our drift at like this is with we have a bunch of different winds, but mm -hmm. like we have to keep under twenty five hundred foot drift, like a radius or a mm -hmm. diameter, right? Yeah. Of around our launch pad, and so we're only going to like. Or three thousand seven hundred and something feet, or four thousand. Four thousand seven hundred eighty-two feet Thank is you. our apogee, and uh, if we have like the worst condition, worst case scenario, we're going out to three thousand two hundred fifty-six feet, which is past our radius. But, but that is worst to case. Our guidelines, we'll yes. be launching in twenty mile per hour winds anyway. Yeah. Yep. So did the. That is also true. We checked it we up. We usually, with our you know, try to sim with like worst case scenario sort yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, it's it's so iterative it. in terms of. You know, just like seeing like different uh, wind speeds and, and different pressures depending on where you are, different temperatures. Like, uh, 
you can basically run all of that and get some range of values of, of where it can drift. Um, that's also where parachute sizing is going to come in. Yep, uh, that's true. Very handy, I guess. Um, the drogue parachute, uh, basically we want that to slow it down um, as it's <laughs> fallen back to earth. Uh, <laughs> slow it down enough that um, when the main chute ejects, then it won't just you know rip everything apart because it's going so lines. fast. <laughs> yep, but um, at the same time, um, you know we don't want it to, to slow down too much because then that will increase the drift that, a ton. Right. Right. Yeah. And then yep. when you have the main chute come out, then uh, it's it's almost like kind of like uh, how a lot of companies do like the the suicide burns now that uh, it's it's almost that but like with a, a large parachute a parachute so you're trying to get as close to the ground as ride you can really ride the line yep. um, and then yeah minimize that drift distance um, yeah so how you plan on tracking it do you have like a Apple AirTag like we're doing or just kind of put it up in no, there the, the, that's a uh, that disclaimer we're not using an Apple AirTag to track our rocket <laughs> we have the Telemega which has GPS <laughs> that was just for the subscale nah, and it was a test I'm up. curious how that goes <laughs> yeah because I was thinking about uh, throwing one of those in my L2 last year but didn't, <laughs> didn't get around to it um, but yeah basically tracking with a few different methods so we'll have um, the flight computers with a built-in GPS, um, which those will just be uh, made in-house. Um, we'll also have um, this thing called a featherweight GPS. Um, mm -hmm. It's a pretty popular uh, GPS system um, within rocketry, but um, that thing is pretty pretty accurate in terms of tracking. Um, and then a whole bunch of you know additional sensors and stuff on our main flight computers. Um, so that'll probably be our, our main way of tracking. Um, we We'll probably want to have, you know, maybe a couple <laughs> uh, featherweight GPSs just in case uh, shot cords do break or Get something. A then we can two mile rope and hold on <laughs> <laughs> as it launches at the launch site. Yeah, let it. Yeah, out we had an work. idea of uh, doing like a I don't know how many two mile long Ethernet cable to, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> to get that thing. Uh, but uh, or Wi-Fi, whatever. Yeah. Mode. The 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 end goal, the challenge. It's the base eleven challenge, still correct. Sort of, yes. So it's still kind of ongoing. Um, mm -hmm. it, that challenge was basically a university challenge with, uh, I think, over like 40 different universities. Um, and that was happening, I'm not actually sure when it started, I think around 2018, mm -hmm. um, when, when Hale started. Um, and then COVID hit. So, <laughs> um, so I don't think they've updated their website for a little while. But um, in terms of like the competition, like actually still going on, it's it's... Um, I don't think it's as involved, but it's still something that, you know, it's, it's not like we're stopping our progress anytime soon or, right. or any of the other schools are. So it's still kind of like an ongoing university, like college level space race. So I was going to say, isn't is that, really cool. um, sorry, I was going to say, isn't that from NASA as well? So wouldn't you be doing a NASA competition as well? I, Ish. I'm actually not sure where the, the base 11 stems from. <laughs> gotcha. is, somewhere. It's, it's somewhere because, yeah, it's, uh, Typically, like in the past, they'd um, submit reports and stuff um, and have like design reviews with mm -hmm. um, the Base 11 uh, program. Um, but since COVID hit, that hasn't really been happening. So it's it's really just been, you know, document everything we can and just make sure like say if we were if the competition was like going to be back up how it was before that we'd still be able to justify each of our design decisions and, and really have a, a full overview of, of 
why we made each decision we made. Gotcha. I'm thinking more too. I guess if it's like a NASA challenge, like legality wise, like can you launch like a GPS device that high? Like, because like imagine a GPS satellite like flying over at that exact moment. It's like, wow, this is oddly close to me. <laughs> is this going to mess up anything? Or a Chinese Just, weather balloon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, a, it's also like I'm thinking. I don't. The, the re-entry, like, I don't know. I know they're moving a lot faster when you're, like, re-entering in, like, an astronaut capsule. But I'm trying to th- even think, like, the speeds that you're going to be coming in at, like, are you going to have to try to, uh, like, calculate any sort of re-entry, like, friction coming back through the atmosphere? Because you're going to be out of, like, the main, the thick of it, you know. And you're going to so, be, like, coming in hot. Yeah, so, I mean, at first, when you're when you're at that altitude, um, uh, subscale is a whole different story because, you yeah. know, being, being much lower to the ground, mm-hmm. we're going to – that thing's going to be, you know, 300 pounds just <laughs> coming directly <laughs> back down. Um, but uh, when it comes to full scale, that thing will be um, coming down pretty slow at first because the air density, um, like air pressure up there is just so low right? Um, that it's there's not going to be any resistance, any any drag, air drag to, uh, to slow that down um, until it reaches mm-hmm. lower altitudes. And then the thickness comes in. Yep. And so... Um, yeah, one one thing that we heard from uh, uh, we did a Tripoli Class Three review last year, mm-hmm. basically like approving the the Heart rocket. Um, and one worry they had was our uh, um, drogue parachute melting. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say because that's th- those forces are like well, like we don't have to worry about them, but mm-hmm. there's a, it's like a lot, not a lot of people think about how much. Well, first off, like the sun being directly on your rocket <laughs> as well, like with no like the the not the ozone right. And then you're also getting those re-entry speeds with, like, your – then you got to start thinking about like your which, parachute type, like, all of that, right? Yeah, which, uh, I mean, we could – Yep, we could use Kevlar for the uh, the drogue shoot. Once again, we haven't really looked into that too much. <laughs> yeah. That's what we did for Heart last year. but um, um, So that could help with preventing melting. Um, but, yeah, we haven't really looked too much into, like, you know, the – some of those, I think some of that stuff may be in, in the simulations, but certainly some interesting. Pro- probably not quite the um, you know sun, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. sun on it at, at, at the carbon line sort of a thing. What about the perlite that we have in Koval? That's the, supposed to have uh, insulating properties. For I'm actually not too sure about that. Um, one thing we've had to consider is for the subscale vehicle and eventually full scale is. Um, uh, when we have the liquid oxygen tank uh, mm-hmm. on the ground, say if we do go to Black Rock um, mm-hmm. in the summer, <laughs> it's going to be you know sun beating mm-hmm. down on it. Um, uh, this is actually another interesting thing. So you know with like SpaceX or really any any industry rockets at the moment, liquid, right. um, you're going to have that like white plume of smoke that comes off of yep. the. Mm-hmm. Um, and so essentially, what that is is just uh, gaseous oxygen. Right. Um, and so as the liquid oxygen uh, boils off, then then it produces the gaseous oxygen that then has to be vented. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, if you you don't vent it, that thing will just go kaboom <laughs> um and so um yeah so we're we're in the process of figuring out either how we're going to insulate that we do have a uh carbon fiber black airframe <laughs> so that thing's gonna absorb heat uh, a lot so um, yeah. we and need then, to yeah we're, we're thinking about doing some sort of thing with like a um like the reflective uh sheeting basically that we could pretty much just like wrap around it until um, launch until time. launch happens and then kind of just have it 
um, be pulled off, <laughs> kind of like a. Because uh, yeah. BlackRock is in Nevada, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I certainly couldn't think of a colder place to launch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in winter, yeah, it's a uh, it gets a little cold, but um, yeah, in, in the summer. In um, June. In June, it <laughs> it uh, it gets pretty toasty out there. Pretty um, sure it's where they have Burning Man, right? That's where yep. the launch site is. Mm, what a what an odd name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we actually, when we went out there last, it was like, there's, I'm pretty sure there's a sign that's like, uh, Burning Man right, <laughs> rockets left. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Like, okay. then, Why not yeah. both? But yeah, and that's a whole other thing too, because like the desert floor trying to like uh, secure the uh, vertical test stand and the launch rail, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's basically just like one hard layer on top. Um, you have to drive really slow when you get kind of towards the camp because once you drive over that layer, it all just turns to sand. Um, and so then, you know, you're, you're building up dust storms and stuff. Right. Oh, um, yeah. And then under that, it gets like pretty, pretty hard ground. Um, so, yeah. So um, essentially, you know, trying to make sure that we can like stake down the launch rail sort of a thing and, and make sure those stakes stay in <laughs> is a, a whole other project trying to get some volunteers on that one but man so now what's the cap at a black rock like the altitude cap so i think they typically have waivers to 250,000 feet um which is pretty close to what we need (laughs) just don't Um, tell them yeah it'll (laughs) for for subscale it'll be totally fine but for uh full scale um yeah we might have to extend that a little bit so that that could go yep so that could go into um getting you know um personal like faa waivers um uh going through a whole different set of approvals um it's a kind of a difficult thing to research at the moment because because this is such a new thing with universities launching liquid engine rockets there's not much documentation on um you know how you actually get those things approved and how you you can really like go through that that process so it's it's a lot of it's just kind of um certain regulations that are based on like your total impulse and like you know just going through certain reviews with with certain people that are are familiar with with that kind of stuff um, i was gonna say to get get approvals launching as high as you do i'm curious how often people actually launch to 250,000. <laughs> there's a waiver for it the fact there's a waiver for it at all is astounding to me yep. yeah there is this one um this one guy kip dagradas um he was actually on our uh, tripoli class three review team um and we uh Hart actually met with him recently oh, really? which was super cool um but he just recently launched a solid two stage two I want to say 293,000 feet, um, which was pretty amazing. Like in, I think the video has probably got like over 2 million views at this point now, which is, I'm I'm so happy for him. But um, yeah, uh, when, when you see that thing hit Apogee uh, and the, the shoot ejects, it just kind of floats out. There's no, (laughs) you realize like kind of what you're working with. I I didn't really, you know, it's all really conceptual because you're like, I won't get that you know that high up there you see the curvature uh, of the earth you see the, yep i mean you can pretty much see that at like uh thirty thousand feet yeah as so i say you like, can see it kind of from planes yeah so it's uh but man it is really cool to see wow that that's that's nuts almost 10 times the the flight ceiling for like commercial airlines is where that went and i mean you guys are going higher than that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is amazing like i i because i've seen i've only seen videos but i can only imagine like from the site like you just see it go because you know how like what the the max speed will be on both the subscale and the full scale then um not entirely sure yet since we don't know weights um 
I know subscale is projected to go over Mach 1, so that's about all I know at the moment. Um, and then full scale is definitely going to have to. Do you, um, yeah. do you know what the motor class will be? Like, or like motor class equivalent? Yeah, I guess equivalent since it's not solid. I could probably figure it out, but <laughs> just, you know, calculating the impulse. But well, yeah. it's like 30, off the top feet. of my head, I don't, I don't really know. So Yeah, 30,000 feet is what's probably like a, well, it's definitely like a level. But being such a heavy uh, rocket, too. That's true, right. too. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's no like I guess because you because I know Tripoli is like for specifically like they have like more avenues for like making your own motors. So is that like mm -hmm. where a lot of you are certified through because they include liquid engine rather than NAR? It's funny. I actually met with uh, we had um, some German members mm -hmm. join our team from from a German university. Sorry, I don't know what it was, but um, and we actually met trying to figure out um, how you would actually go about getting those some of those <laughs> FAA waivers. Yeah. Um, and one thing we ran into is uh, they actually requested um, approval from Tripoli, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> really? We have nobody that that is." Uh, you know certified or like uh, even familiar with with liquid engines maybe hybrids but um so that's a, a whole other <laughs> whole nother rabbit issue. hunt wow. that we're gonna have to to go through hopefully um, by the time the full scale is like being actively well, manufactured that you that will be more of a yep. well-known thing right and with um you know certain launches at say black rock um one because it's just out in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere it's a, a lot safer to do than, than you know say <laughs> yeah. you're gonna try and launch that thing at like brothers or something <laughs> yeah um fair. and then um, additionally, since they do have those FAA waivers, it's they don't really have too many regulations on like the type of rocket you're launching. Mm -hmm. They just need to know, like, <laughs> the like what it is, like what, <laughs> what it is, and uh, what altitude you expect to get to, and and you know what can go wrong, like those sort of things. <laughs> Everything, uh, re recovery aspects, all of that stuff. So get this: uh, international borders only extend 14 nautical miles off the coast. Ooh. <laughs> Space pirates. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me too many I'm, ideas I'm just here, saying, uh, you know, if you can't get the signatures that you need, <laughs> you're gonna be in international <laughs> waters, baby. <laughs> well, I also know that some Make your own island. Yeah. <laughs> some aerospace companies are doing these launches, like smaller rockets and uh, launch vehicles, out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of the ocean, and they're doing return flights, just way out there. Yep. So I mean that is a possibility. Um, this is uh, OSU is a what is a ocean <laughs> space oh, yeah. whatever the the for our land. We got the the research vessel Newport Pacific Storm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. so. Just get okay. tow a tow a little barge with that. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> I was say, let me think. So the the legal limit at Black Rock is what would you say like uh, 250,000 250,000 typically i mean it all depends on <laughs> weather and you know uh, even at brothers uh with you know certain launches there the um oftentimes we'll be like no launches from 12 to 2 because yeah. there's right. military flyovers yeah that's what happened right. when we whatever there. it is well because i was gonna say um <laughs> so I'm going to propose a thought experiment. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to read between the lines here, okay? <laughs> so if you, if I were to be floating above the earth, above Oregon, I'm technically not in Oregon, right? Like, you, the, you're, you do not extend a sphere's influence infinitely into, you know, space, right? Like, if I'm, like, centered above Oregon and then I move a light year away, I'm technically not in the U.S. still. So there's an arbitrary line somewhere, and it might be 14 nautical miles. <laughs> there's an arbitrary line somewhere where you leave the legal... 
the legal zone, and then you're in uncharted waters completely. And, and at that point, then you're not breaking any laws because well, you're not technically unless anywhere, you're crossing right? state lines. So <laughs> that is actually and that's another fair. beast but in its own. State, <laughs> state lines go. What if Oregon has a different uh, level height than, limit than Washington? Oh, so is, is Nevada the one that has the highest limit currently out of all the states near us? Or I think so. That's um, odd. I know there's one lake like Area 51. Yeah, I know there's one, um, like the far um, in in California, the far launch site. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what their typical um, like uh, altitude waiver goes up to, but I think that's one of like the other main ones. And so, yeah, BlackRock is typically if you're doing anything that's sketchy <laughs> in terms of rocket launches, <laughs> they're they're the that's the one to go to. Okay, I am in my statement. It's 12 nautical miles off I the coastline. Not fourteen. What if you what if you launch at an area that's like like Death Valley where it's like negative four hundred feet below sea level? Do they give you that extra on top of the waiver? Right? If maybe you can game the system. Dig a hole. It depends if they have the the AGL above ground level oh, in there. In their uh, the limits. I was gonna um, say dig a hole. But I'm sure there's been deep. some. You know, <laughs> we need a FA FA waiver for a certain altitude, and then they're like. Uh, AGL or <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, they're, question mark or probably gotten you know <laughs> okay. had some issues so with according that at some point. to Google, Class A airspace is generally the airspace from eighteen thousand feet mean sea level and up. Mean. So the average sea level because sea levels are different yeah. on the Pacific and the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hence the Panama Canal. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. You're going above that. <laughs> Way let's, above let's find that. those loopholes. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's break the law on here. Hey, oh, do, man. do we have a, a law department? We got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's, yeah. Where's the law sub team? Get some JDs. Like we can do, a, yeah. we can do a branch with Western University. Yeah. Eventually, we should honestly have a full sub team devoted to just getting you know waivers, re- waivers and regulations, <laughs> documentation. And make, yep, we have one. Exactly. Um, yeah, put put that as a capstone out there. It's, you know, it's like, kind hey, of. We need some legal. <laughs> oh, the point. amount of people that we like would need for that, in addition to everything that we're doing, is is pretty uh, would be pretty substantial. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy at the moment because in in addition to everything that we're doing, it's like also documenting. Yeah, <laughs> and so like obviously there's a limit to that, especially you know all of us being students and and having classes and midterms yep. and yeah. finals. We know and all, all that too stuff. well, yep. especially because. Midterms is right now. Midterms yeah. week is happening right now. <laughs> so. I got one tomorrow and one the next day. Yeah. Yep. But uh, so you got you need like fifty more people that are just to like do what you yeah. want to do. Double, let's say and so that's so, actually where we've gotten into um, just really trying to include volunteers. And there's also this organization um, here at OSU called Space Race. <laughs> it's basically just a, a, like a one credit class for. Um, really any level students. If they're above freshmen, we typically recommend that, you know, they try to just get involved with us directly. Um, but we've really just been been trying hard to uh, get them more involved so that they can essentially learn how the whole process works and start working on some of those projects before actually getting into um, their capstone class. Because um, a really hard part about it is, you know, when you're uh, I knew nothing about Hale when I first joined, <laughs> you know, like, and so um, joined in and then you're, you're spending the first like two months just learning how everything works, essentially. Right. And then you start actually getting into the designs. And then, you know, that's eventually what led to us saying, OK, we're, we're not going to be able to launch this year because we we just got too much to do, a little too optimistic. Um, so really just trying to get them as involved as we can. Um, 
you know, freshman year, they're they're all super excited too, which and <laughs> motivated, kind of, yeah, yeah, motivated. <laughs> they haven't gone through, they the, haven't ruined them yet. Gone through the road and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, I guess. Oh, oh, I was gonna say. I guess now would be a good time to also just say like when your uh, team meets when and meet contacts. Yeah, if so someone's interested that's listening. That's actually a good point. So we meet um, Wednesdays in Owen 102 at 6 p.m. Um, so that's a that's our just general team meeting, and then uh, each of our sub teams also meets throughout the week. Um, and honestly, I won't say all of those right now. So you're welcome to to contact us or come to that general meeting uh, if you're interested in joining or helping us out at all. Um, well, they would have yeah. learned that you need the help. We definitely want it. We definitely need it. And uh, just, you know, even if like freshmen and, and lower classmen aren't getting as involved as they'd like to, um, just being around, um, you know, being around us as we're trying to go through those design decisions, um, just being at the propulsion lab and, you know, seeing all the components that go into the horizontal test stand, just like um, surrounding yourself with, with the people that actually work on it is far more beneficial than than not so learning through osmosis yep absorbing it as you always say yeah yeah i always say <laughs> right? like when i first started like because i'm team captain of usli and i knew nothing about rocketry when i first started mm-hmm. and i was just like sure i'll be team captain and then now now i've learned like so much and it's not even by like actively doing the work but it's like going up and asking kyle like okay what are we doing for the fiberglass how does it work and then like i i helped out with i didn't do much for the fiberglass stuff but I was still there to like help and like witness what was happening. And I'm like, okay, I understand how this is working now and how it's going to continue to work. So it's like, you just have to be there. You have to ask questions. Yeah. One mm-hmm. of my first launches with uh, heart for, I think it was our L ones. Um, uh, we showed up like pretty much the whole team was there and they're like, okay, now what do we do? Mr. Team lead. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Let me uh, go talk to some people. Yeah, let me so figure it out. I ended up finding Joe Bevier um, and he taught me how to fold a parachute. Um, and then I went back and taught each person on the team how to fold the parachute. Um, and that was like such a great learning experience because now I'm frankly really good at folding parachutes. <laughs> <laughs> and nice <laughs> and it's something that I can like really, you know, teach other people too when they're trying to do L1s and L2s. I was going to say, and the nice thing about folding parachutes is that you can scale that up to your big parachutes too. Like once you learn how to fold a little small, you know, five inch parachute for your L1. You can bring that up to your 120-inch parachute for your full scale. Yep. So for subscale, I think we're going to have like a 20-foot parachute diameter, <laughs> which is going to be pretty insane. So that'll definitely be a good test for me. But someday I'll, uh, I'll get to go skydiving again, fold my own chute, and test it for real. <laughs> <laughs> the real test. So the real <laughs> test. Huh. I, I would not oh, trust myself man. on that. But yeah. uh, I know some of the USLI guys, we're done after April. So... Some of us are sticking around for spring term, and we want, we're looking at hell going, hey, you know. <laughs> we're going to have the same same issue. It, uh, um, honestly, there's a lot of people that are uh, going to be very involved still. Um, there's this one class called ME406, um, and it's essentially just like a capstone extension class. Um, and that has been highly recommended for everybody involved just because – um, you're, you're already working on stuff. You already have, have stuff to do. It's essentially just getting credits for continuing your capstone. Um, oh. Since you're, you're learning so much and getting so much like hands-on experience with the club, mm-hmm. um, might as well just <laughs> add that. I think it crosses off to uh, um, electives or a tech elective and a something else. But <laughs> um, So it's, it's really worth it to do. Um, but 
it is an issue, re repetitive issue from year to year. Just, you know, people kind of drop off after the, the actual capstone class ends. But um, typically there's enough, uh, especially when it comes to volunteers, too, because it's not like they were involved because of the capstone. Um, right. They're, they're just involved because they, they love it sort of a thing. Um, so there, there's definitely still a lot of uh, people involved. Just it probably will drop off a, a little bit. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, also, like, the people that do drop off, I mean, there's there's either two things. They either got, like, you know, jobs lined up and everything, which is respectable. But then there's also the other ones that are, you know, rock shoot just wasn't their passion. Like, that's, that's how I see it. It's like, which is totally if, fine. It's yeah, like, exactly. It, it's not for everyone. There's It's it's very complex. Um, uh, I'd consider myself a little lucky in terms of uh, just knowing that I've wanted to work on rockets for so long. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of just like, okay, um, know what i want to do let's just get better at it sort of a thing mm -hmm. um a lot of people like i remember i had a, I had a co-worker uh he was <laughs> i think four years or three years in and then he changed his major <laughs> <laughs> and so then he was here for another four years you know and i was uh it Ooh, was his poor bank account yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah it's just uh I'm, I'm lucky in that that sense in terms of tuition i mean it is out of state but <laughs> oh yeah california but, but definitely don't you uh, get the, uh, the golden state yeah uh, there's a there's there's some scholarships okay. for it and stuff but yeah yeah <laughs> so, i guess kind of retreating back to like a little bit about you um yep. i guess after are you graduating winter term or spring term spring term spring so, term yep, and then after the after that what do you want to do? Like, do you want to do school, more school, get a master's, or are you trying to go into the workforce? And if the workforce, what's your dream job? Good question. Um, so I think my goal is just going to be to graduate <laughs> in, terms, <laughs> in terms of uh, not necessarily moving on to a, a, a master's program. Um, there is an opportunity through um, OSU, through, through Hale, just pretty much continuing that, which uh, – I, don't get me wrong, I really want to do it um, in terms of because I could stay an extra year and actually see this thing launch. I'll probably be back out anyway, but um, to, to see this thing all the way through would be absolutely amazing. Um, but I would really like to go work in the industry. <laughs> 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 um, as much as I have loved school so far, uh, um, I think it's I think it's time. Um, and so camp rather than <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so I've been looking at startups a lot recently. Um, the way I see it, you can basically start working for a startup and work there for for one year and get three years of experience. Move your move your way up the ladder, and and it's like just a a great place to grow. Um, I've also just seen people have been super passionate with startup companies. So uh, right now I'm looking into a few. I think I mentioned some of them, but um, Stoke Space mm -hmm. has really caught my eye. Um, Tim Dodd actually just released a video on it. I was, I was trying to get my application out before that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> didn't quite make that. Um, but so yeah. they're up in Seattle? Yep, they're up in Seattle. Um, Firefly Aerospace, they're one company that I've been pretty obsessed with. Um, uh, just... They're doing pretty awesome. They had a Alpha launch recently, um, two of them actually that were successful. Mm -hmm. um, Relativity Space, they're pretty cool. 3D printing. I was the gonna entire, say they're the 3D printed engines. Yep, right? 3D printing basically like the in entire rocket. I mean, what Hold they on, can. You're talking too fast. <laughs> what was the, the previous one? Uh, the Firefly, Firefly Aerospace. Firefly, and then. And then uh, Relativity. Relativity. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then. Uh, Rocket Lab, they're another one. Mm. Um, I think they're based in New Zealand, um, which 
you know, I'd be down to move to New Zealand, but um, yeah, they have some. Yep, they have some uh, some places around in in the U.S. now as well. Um, yeah, there's there's a ton of startups right now that, um, I mean, Blue Origin too. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. SpaceX as well. Um, it was kind of funny growing growing up. The uh, I was all for SpaceX, you know, as as most people were, because they're like the first ones to physically land the rocket and everything. Um, but you know, as uh, as I got older, I was like, they're no longer really the startup. So I mean, <laughs> I'd love to work for them at some point in my life. But I'm thinking, you know, straight out of college, probably um, closer to a, a startup company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Blue Origin too, with all their progress with with New Glenn. You know, a few people up in Washington and Cape Canaveral, and um, I could see some real good work really at any of those companies. So just a matter, just a matter. Yep, just a matter of uh, getting through those interviews next. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yep. So are you more of a, I guess, kind of like a materials guy, more of a fluids guy, more of a mechanisms that's, guy? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, it's hard to say because, you know, I haven't physically worked in, in uh, like, for a rocket company yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... Um, I've actually been pretty interested in uh, rotational engineering positions because mm-hmm. you can kind of just try out a few different positions. Uh, I know I want to work in the industry. It's just kind of where. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm pretty interested in fluids. I think that would be really cool. Um, and then, um, I mean, propulsion would also be really cool. I haven't taken any propulsion class or anything, but it's more of like a self-taught sort of a thing. So um, don't know if that would necessarily be the best option in terms of my experience so far, but definitely somewhere I can really learn a lot. Um, and then I've also been interested in systems engineering. Mm. Um, so that's kind of a, Very a important. It's it's yeah. yeah an important position. I mean it's it's such a broad name because it, it ranges so much from company to company. Um, but I really just like the overall like big picture um, uh, view of everything. Um, kind of. I mean, you're still you're still kind of people managing, but you know, not a, not as much. There's a little less micromanaging in terms of people, and more more managing in terms of like the overall systems, right? Um, which I think would be really cool to get into. So, yeah, I'm, I'm open to options. But <laughs> when I started looking at aerospace as a minor and starting all all that off, systems engineering was one of the things I was really looking at because it really does just tie everything up on a, with a nice neat little bow. Yep, and the salary doesn't hurt either. If <laughs> <Yeah>, you <laughs> look also, at some of the that's also true. Some yeah. of the things that and I mean, I, I don't know. If, that. I don't know if that's the best thing to do right out of college, because um, it's probably better to kind of dive into specifics before moving up to systems, especially um, just from what I've seen. Is uh, you, you kind of need a lot of experience and within that company that you're you're being a system. Hey, apply it. The worst thing they can say is no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're not gonna like show up at your door and critique your resume or something. <laughs> <laughs> just just on your phone. <laughs> just have like all the highlight marks on it. And be like, so yeah. we're here to talk to you about your they hand resume. it bad. <laughs> they hand it back with red ink. You know, <laughs> yeah, wrong, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Uh, you have I like know. a score on it, like <laughs> yeah. 25 out of yeah. 100. 7 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's one thing yeah. that I've, I've been trying to work on getting like my resume to like look nice. I finally went through just like a resume building website where it's like 
this, 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 and then it like organizes it for you. And I'm like, way better. Because I tried making mine on my own and it just looked like bland or like I couldn't get everything I wanted to fit on there. And so now I just. 100%. Just it's a it. milestone when you're moving from one page to two. <laughs> but yeah. if, you, if you can continuously just like can make it more concise and, yeah. and uh, bring it down to one page, it's. Uh, um, until you can really like have some substantial stuff on the second page, it's well, yeah. That's the thing that I learned about wh- when I did my my first NASA Academy uh, Mission Concept Academy through LaSpace. Shout out ASU. <laughs> um, they talked. They did like a resume building session, and what they essentially said was, you almost never want to have a, a page two, like to get like people's attention, unless you are like the author of like several papers, and like we got to see. Uh, Hal Levison, who I believe was the um, principal investigator of the Lucy mission for NASA, he showed us his, and it was like he had like six pages of like all <laughs> the papers he like co-authored or authored. I mean, um, you just look at uh, our project sponsor, Dr. Blanc. He's he's got like I think seventeen page resume. I was gonna say you just keep, um, and my dad's is like that too. He just keeps just, just to keeps it. on building, yeah, yeah, which is pretty amazing. Don't need to get anyone's attention anymore, yeah. really. After that, we'll, we'll get there at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I got to the point where I was just like, I was like, one page, but how long is the page? So I just made the one page really yeah. long. I found it a lot easier to just go from scratch. Uh, you start out kind of using templates, and you're like, this doesn't really work. And next thing you know, you're like deleting text boxes and stuff. And you're like, why am I still trying to use this template? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so, that, yep, then you just end up creating the thing from scratch and kind of just making it look Making it as, nice. as good as you can and then getting a lot of feedback um, yeah mm-hmm. that's that's definitely been like with heart we did a lot of resume building sessions we should we should do that we haven't life. as much with hail but i'm i'm still trying to start those it's a little late in the year but yeah. uh definitely trying to start those because they're very helpful yeah because you sent me or an aiaa yeah just resume building that's sessions true. everyone all the rocket teams <laughs> pretty sure teams. there's a isn't there a resume <laughs> yeah, i think there is a resume resume channel yeah because yeah. i sent you yeah. yours and you sent me mine yeah and i gave you some feedback that i had heard that i implemented into my own one yeah yours just looks phenomenal i was like oh Why? dang because like it just stands out like that nice gray oh yeah see that's the, the top, that's the resume how it goes down like, and everything mm-hmm. it's like Perfect. It just looks nice. I remember I handed mine uh, to, I think it was Relativity Space when they did a career fair or something. Yeah. Um, and then I was like looking at other people. I was like, man, maybe my name shouldn't be in 36 size font, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever it was. Um, but that was, you know, it's it's one way to learn. <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of just like see other people as you're like, wow, that was a... <laughs> probably change that an iterative sort of process and yeah and so i think i'm on like <laughs> iteration 20 at this point or something i just but had a i had a thought you guys ever seen the movie american psycho no i think so I oh, the, well there's a there's a part where he's looking at he is they've got business cards and he looks oh, at the other guy's business yeah, cards and he's like about. it's so nice he's like <laughs> it's even got like cream colored lettering that's like everyone else looking at a nice <laughs> resume they're like oh my <laughs> lord it's so nice that's it's it's me not of. even typed into Roman. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, special exactly. font, Comic it's not, Sans. It's an aerial <laughs> font, 12 point. Oh, man. Italicized. Yeah, italicized. Yeah. 1.3 space. Yeah. <laughs> when earlier, because, you know, we've talked about Hail quite a while, is it reminded me of something that I thought about. I don't even know if this is possible. But when I was younger, I was like, oh, because, you know, if you have your thesis for your doctorate, right? Yep. And uh, I was thinking it would be funny. I always thought that pizza delivery like because i didn't get it because i lived out okay 
let me preface this. <laughs> this is a part of the podcast, part, connect- of the, part of the show where we start, to, we start to diverge now, and we just start to talk about random stuff. STEM-related still, but this is STEM-related. But Pizza STEM. So, yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm from a very small town called Estacada. We've gone over this on the show before, but I live out in the boonies. Okay, Now it's becoming a little bit more like populated. But my family still lives out in the woods, and so we would never get delivery <laughs> until, like, Uber Eats started being able to, like, send things, you know. And so we couldn't order pizza online. And so I always thought, like, you know, it would be nice if I could get pizza anytime, anywhere, and, like, like that, you know, like, within a minute. And so I always thought about how there is a theoretical – I haven't looked into this, like, deeply with math. There's a theoretical – of course, it would be expensive. Think mm-hmm. money's off the table. Theoretically yep. – there is a satellite you could put into space, okay, and it manufactures your pizza automatically, and then it shoots it down. Think about, okay, so. By another, the time it reaches you, it's going to be frozen. Another, another, <laughs> another thesis. Okay, now I, I'm going to get to that. So there's a, after all the nuclear non-proliferation treaties from, like, the Cold War, again, this is out of nowhere. Um, there was this idea called like rods from the gods, which essentially oh. was like yeah. a weapon that was just like kinetic based, like a didn't, meteorite. Um, the tungsten rods. Yeah. Didn't Veritasium do a? The, I have no a, clue. He's a YouTube. I, I don't know who say, you're talking I about. I have no clue who that is. But I think he did a video. But on yeah, it. basically, it's just like oh, it's just a, that video. it's I just like a kinetic video. impactor, right? Like it's you're there's no like payload. It's just like mass, like a meteorite. Okay, so think about, I was thinking, like, oh, that'd be cool if it's just, like, already, like, a loaded, like, pizza. (laughs) And my thought process was that the container that shoots the pizza down, basically, it's going to use the reentry temperature to cook the pizza. And so there's got to be, like, that material that's good enough for it, like, the thickness (laughs) of the material. Like, you got to have, like, the atmospheric density to cook it. That's a heat transfer problem right there. Exactly. you got to have, like, the the perfect temperature to cook your pizza. So, like, when it, like, you know, hits your your lawn going, like, 300 (laughs) miles per hour, you got a perfectly cooked pizza you just pull out. Of course, you're probably going to have to pay a couple million or billion dollars for that pizza. May or may not include the pepperoni (laughs) still. I thought it would be funny to, Crisp and cheese. If I were to ever, like, write a thesis, it'd be about this theoretical pizza delivery technology <laughs> that utilizes an orbital pizza can. I mean, hey, we're using uh, Starship, not SpaceX Starship, but, yeah. you know, the, the OSU uh, food delivery robots yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. already. So, I mean, I feel like... Pretty sure the next step is like drones. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that would be that would cool. probably but orbital be pizza the first cannon? step before... An orbital pizza can. Yeah. <laughs> but just think about how much be like a, like a pizza blimp where it comes out with a <laughs> pizza blimp. It yeah, deploys man. the drones. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Release the slices. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like the uh, like the the ease the ease of like delivery service is going to be my downfall. Like, it's so nice having like being able to order things. Like, even robots delivering it for it. Like, that's crazy to me that we could do that now. You know what I mean? It is pretty insane. And the the timing that those came out with COVID was. Uh, impeccable yeah (laughs) (laughs) so all this all this technology has basically gone into make us making us fatter that's what i'm saying it's the angle yeah Yeah, exactly i mean that's that's how you used to be determined that you were like well off right when you were uh when back in the middle ages like you were the the fatter the more rich you were my uh my time in hawaii uh taught me that you know the bigger you were way back when Mm -hmm. the more attractive you were because it means that you could feed yourself Really? <laughs> That's also so a thing I in am. Mexican culture. Oh, is it? Yeah. So I'm very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, way back when. Uh, back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> I just remember my mom always saying the same thing. And my grandma was just like, yeah, you know, you can tell when uh, 
if you, if you're you know you have more on you, you're more wealthy, and you can like sustain yourself pretty much. So you're more attractive <laughs> because of those reasons. Yeah. Nowadays it's like the opposite. If your cat's fat, then that, you know that you, you can support them. If you think about it, like an ev- evolutionary level, right? Like mm-hmm. the like the large like the more calories you intake, like the more successful of like a uh, like organism you are. Well, but going back to Starship, now you don't even have to like you just walk down some stairs to pick up your pizza. You don't have to go across the street. I don't want to like move. <laughs> I don't want it to move. I want it to shoot through the roof of my house. <laughs> that pizza. I just want to let yeah, it technology helps and bring in juice. So yeah. Are you just gonna like make like little like pads that receive this pizza? No, I want it to like just leave a crater in the yard. I want my neighbors to know that I ordered. <laughs> they have the luxury of satellite I mean, they're gonna pizza. hear the sonic boom as it enters the atmosphere. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, pizza's here. <laughs> Then you have to ring the doorbell. I just hear it outside. You know, like my windows shatter. All I can think of is just like this capsule. Like when you go to the bank and you know you're on the other side, not where the teller window is at, and yeah. they shoot that little thing with your check yeah, or whatever. The, in. the pneumatic it comes tubes. down. Yeah, they could All probably I- target your kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> just through my yeah, just to cut a hole in the roof. <laughs> well, because that brings up an, like another technology. Like, okay, so let's let's revise the pizza cannon oh let's make it a space <laughs> elevator two. pizza cannon oh that way they can restock the actual ingredients and you can have a person up there making it like you're still yeah, making jobs that's, that's a good point how are you gonna get the cheese bingo Wait, how are you uh, gonna have their own the dairy farm yeah, their own put a cow there just have one cow yeah. <laughs> making the, the pizza in space that's gonna be like it's gonna be floating all over and like well that that's why it was like the the space elevator like well, i guess because yeah it's moving with earth but yeah because the artificial okay. gravity yeah <laughs> No, 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 because no. like I, the ISS, the reason why it's z- it's zero g, which is not zero gravity, it's zero acceleration. For right. those of you that have found that misnomer, uh, if you were to like make like a ladder that's like the exact same height as the space station, you could walk on it normally. The fact that the ISS, because because you're still moving at the same rate the Earth is turning. Okay, mm-hmm. this doesn't account for friction and all the aerodynamic force and all that. <laughs> and then you'd see the ISS like sling by going like seventeen thousand miles per hour. It's but if you had that the 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 space elevator, you still would have Earth gravity. It would just have to be you know anchored on Earth, and it's pretty amazing that they do that because there's a certain point where they can get that distance. I say that they can, as if it exists. <laughs> <laughs> there is a theoretical... Mat- Some civil- yeah. civilization out there. There is a theoretical point where the the gravity, or like the centrifugal force, which if you ask some of our, our physics classes doesn't exist, <laughs> uh, the centrifugal force created by the rotation of this massive weight, essentially just being anchored to the Earth, that pull is just going to be just enough to equalize it so that like the Earth is pulling it down as much as it's pulling out. And so that the forces are just balanced, and you just go around the Earth like that. That way, you don't have something that's like, whoo, you know, around the <laughs> yeah. Earth, like all bendy. So Off it's like topic. true e- equilibrium. Yeah, and so you just put a little, you put a pizza joint up there. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you call it when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. One, one thing I've heard is, uh, you know, that we'll we'll be moving in terms of like a civilization on Mars when you can go bowling there. <laughs> bowling? Bowling. When when they have bowling on Mars, then then you know that we're we're in business. Like <laughs> like us playing golf on the moon. Pretty much, yeah. So uh, when you can uh, sell pizza on Mars. Speaking of Mars, I was I'll actually a, you know that pinged with an idea. Do you think the space elevator would be more feasible on Mars? It would certainly have to. It could be a lower distance, I think, from Mars. Well, more feasible to construct um, with what we have right it, now. Well, 
if we ignore uh, the amount of material needed to make it, <laughs> we'll just pile up Mars rocks. As engineers. Yeah, Mars <laughs> That we have infinite materials. Write your assumptions. <laughs> yeah. Infinite yeah, materials. Right, infinite materials. <laughs> well, it's like okay, Minecraft. So get this. Minecraft. People are getting more and more, more and more into asteroid mining. Right. That is almost feasible in infinite, infinite materials. Okay, but that's like... If we again, is if infinite materials is not like an option, we got to think about this like logistically, right? <laughs> like mining an asteroid is one thing, like, because like you've seen a mine by like our hands, like we have to like pull all the material out ourselves. Right. The material still has to be moved to Mars, which then it will be refined, you know, and all that, and then made in with all the metals that we need and everything. Some of the concepts that I've been seeing are like it would open up, like you know, one of those deep sea octopuses. Mm-hmm. Right, it would open up and then encapsulate and then slow it down or match the oh, acceleration. Oh yeah, the asteroid then, redirect mission mm-hmm. was one of them that they had an idea. So it would just open up. That was up a pretty amazing mission. Yeah, yeah. it'll just open up and encapsulate this asteroid and just take it home. Yeah, like, this is mine now. <laughs> they, I don't think they ended up going through with it, but they had one where basically it was like it was just gonna like capture it, mm-hmm. and then they were just gonna like put it into orbit around the moon, and they were just gonna sit it there, and they were just gonna be like, oh, we can go up and study it now. I've heard that for, I don't think asteroids, but for satellites in terms of, like, cleaning up space oh, junk. Oh, is it getting Kessler mm-hmm. syndrome stuff uh, done? Yeah, where you can just pretty much, you know, <laughs> gobble up the space junk. And then take it back down. I don't know how efficient that would be. I mean, in terms of it might just be better to kind of just push them a little further into the atmosphere so they can burn up on reentry. That's also, like, that's a big thing, too. Like, I talk about space elevators and, like, ISS, like even for the ISS, it's a like bigger issue now. It's like the Kessler syndrome. You know, the more you break something into pieces, the more pieces can break other things into pieces. Right. Yep. So, like a space elevator would not work because, again, you know, you like something like the size of like a, a <laughs> the grain of gravity. That's, yeah, that's your. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a it's like a grain of dust like hits like a big like something say it's this size right like it just up. I mean, a grain of dust going seventeen thousand miles per hour is going to break a lot of stuff. Yeah, the ISS, the ISS just had a leak. I'm pretty sure from a. They a have micro them all the time. Meteorite. Yeah, they just they like they just sling through, and it's yeah, it's yep. just like that. The small particulates just go through. I mean, even like there was one that they thought was going to threaten like everyone on the space station, so they all got in like the 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 Soyuz module, I think, and it was like a bolt that came off of like a you know an old decrepit satellite like. 40 years before you know it's like very tiny things yeah Yeah. it causes like a a massive like just damage to to everything essentially that's why that's so dangerous with all the space debris Mm -hmm. it's it's a ballistic math you know just kinetic Mm -hmm. energy equations oh yeah it's like transferring you know seventeen thousand miles per hour (laughs) at like one gram to you know a mat like stopping it essentially yeah yeah because you have your mass and then you have your velocity yeah but velocity is going to be squared yeah so it doesn't matter how much mass you have it's the, the velocity that's the kicker yeah i've also so you mentioned asteroid mining and like redirecting i've heard them mentioning that they could because mars has two moons which i don't know if everyone knew it's phobos and demos mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because like it's tatooine <laughs> no, has two, two sons. Two sons. Oh, yeah, my bad, my bad. Big fan. <laughs> big fan. So, <laughs> Demos is, is, is the son of Mars. Well, it's it's fear and something else. Terror. Fear and terror. Yeah. And Mars is their father. Get it? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they've talked about Demos is one that like orbits like really far out, and because they're just asteroids, and then. Uh, Phobos is the one that like orbits pretty close. They've thought about artificially slowing down Phobos and just crashing it into Mars on purpose. That way they can like get like 
kind of a simulation of what it was like for like a big impact. And also, it <laughs> might even it might even re it, it might even reheat part of the atmosphere. Yeah, let's just you know permanently it, rearrange he, our solar system for a science experiment. So many things <laughs> into so many planets. Don't act like this is any different. Isn't that it's also a little a bit movie? different? What Moonfall? Isn't that also that? Let's not <laughs> talk about that movie. If I've seen that movie, then that is an awful film. I haven't actually seen it. The moon's actually yeah. moving away. Us, yeah, right? it's like so. two centimeters a year. That movie is about like artificial intelligence, like becoming smart enough to like end human life. Mm. And it's like, mm, I'm the moon now, and I'm gonna eat anything that well, puts we're off getting radio closer waves. with ChatGPT. So uh, yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say. But yeah, we've crashed like Cassini and like Huygens, I guess, landed on Titan. But we've crashed Cassini into Saturn. Like we've crashed the Galileo into Jupiter. Did you not know that? No. Yeah, we were just like. <laughs> You know, so we yeah. got nowhere else to put it. We might as well <laughs> crash it into Saturn. I think they were, they didn't want its orbit, like, eventually to maybe, like, go into Titan and, like, ruin any sort of, like, life that could be there or, like, any sort of data they could collect later. This is I don't like know. So this is like no. They they did crash. There was a okay. video I saw. Turns well, out there was life, and we <laughs> yeah. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, that, okay, exactly. so that that maybe I'm thinking of Galileo. So Europa, everyone knows what Europa is. Mm-hmm. They didn't crash the Galileo probe into Europa. They thought about it, but they were like, you know, we might, like, contaminate or hurt anything that could be living under the thick, thick ice. So we're just going to crash it into Jupiter. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> it was that you easy. Know, one, of the, one of the most amazing missions, um, uh, Voyager. We did talked we, about Voyager yeah. uh, and so, a few weeks ago. What was it? Because uh, Dr. Squire has worked on... Voyager 2, oh, I believe. That's what it was. Dude, because I was, I was asking if Dr. Squires had worked maybe on, like, James Webb, because James Webb was the thing far before it even became, like, yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, I want to say, I'm, like, it could be wrong, so fact check me, but uh, um, I, I think did, it was amazing. Voyager 2, which is totally amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Voyager, like, even, like, their, their radio, or the... the the RTGs, radio isoelectric thermic generators. Like we talked about those. We talked about the disks that yep. are on them. We talked about how aliens would even communicate with us. Mm-hmm. And the message that's on it. The message, yeah. Basically using pulsars yeah. and magnetars to give you, them you like a You should check out our old podcast. Yeah, watch episode <laughs> definitely watch episode eight of At Least It's Not Rocket Science. <laughs> I promise you can hear a lot more about all of this. Who's the guest on that one? No Do one. No one. <laughs> we didn't have okay. a guest. Just <laughs> us talking, yeah. But it like all these got to be good then. <laughs> all, these, yeah, yeah. all these missions like it's because people people always forget that like once the mission is over, quote unquote, like Hubble has been over for like the past like 30 years, I think at this point now. But it just continues but, going because yep. they don't want to crash it. It still works. So like why crash it? And like if it Vo- ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and <laughs> Voyager one and two, like they can still transmit, but like they just gotta shut off extra instruments the that they had every once in a while. Yeah, because we looked up the half life of whatever like radioactive materials in it, and I think it's uranium or no, it's plutonium. Plutonium, yeah, plutonium oxide. And eventually, you know, it's it's half life is like eighty two years, and so we're we're getting up, we're we're starting to move to its half half life. <laughs> so eventually, wow. it will lose its power, but they just keep shutting off more and more instruments so they can get pinged. I mean, I follow Voyager 1 on Twitter, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost one Along light. Along with the, uh, the Tesla Roadster. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot, that, I forgot that they sent that out just Don't with the panic. astronaut in it. But, yeah, it's amazing that they, they're going so far, and yet in an astronomical scale, they're going, like, not even out of our backyard. Yep. It's like 
it's amazing how massive the universe is. On that same episode, we talk a little bit about like just how far things are. Like most of the time when people talk about like planets and stars and all that, it's all inside of our galaxy. Like no one talks about like extra galactic planets and like extra galactic missions because if we're being realistic, we will never see them. You know? Yeah. Yep. And I mean, like you look down at Earth and it's like still the the ocean. Like we we haven't explored all the ocean, mm-hmm. so that's pretty insane. I mean, I personally have no desire to, to go down <laughs> go down the ocean. I mean, um, you know, you go up to space, it's just like flying rocks and, and uh, endless vacuum that's trying <laughs> to kill empty, you if you yeah. go down you go down to <laughs> we know what's in the ocean there's things that live down there they're scary <laughs> yeah the, who knows but <laughs> did you see the video of uh, or they went to the bottom of Challengers Deep and there was just like I think like a beer bottle <laughs> like or no, there was like there was I don't think it was a beer bottle because it would have broke but there was or no maybe it would have been fine maybe if the water filled it up it would equalize the pressure <laughs> but there was like trash in, in yeah. Challenger Deep and I'm like you know, hmm. if this is any test of it to humanity, I feel like this is probably <laughs> it. The fact that in the most inaccessible place Toilet on Earth, and yeah, <laughs> most inaccessible place, yeah, a Doritos bag, yeah, Doritos. most inaccessible place cup. on Earth, <laughs> there is just Baja signs Blast. of humans. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's amazing McDonald's. to me. <laughs> yeah, just all the just I don't th- I don't even think it was that much trash, but there was trash, and I was like, you know. That's that's us. We did that. That's us. <laughs> we yeah. did that. It's the humanity's like signature. Yeah, it's yep. like us sending out like our first <laughs> beer yeah. bottles and plastic bags. It's like our, first, our first radio signal we sent out. I think is like I love Lucy, like the the show. Mm-hmm. Like if aliens hear us from that, like they're they're gonna know that show. Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> that's what it'll be. They'll be like, come in. They'll be like, oh, these these individuals just they still alive. Nah, definitely not. I'm just gonna look at them like, uh. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, are you on. <laughs> Do you mean Twitter? Yeah. I mean, it's such a. What got me into, like, NASA and all that was, like, my dad, first off, like, showing me something like. He showed me, like, the moon through his telescope, and it was like, hey, we went up there. And I was like, what? He showed me a video, and I was like, oh, that's pretty crazy. And I was like, whoa. And so that's what, like, started me out. But, like, life in space has always been, like, my main motivator for being interested in it. And they trigger me when they talk about aliens because then I'm which like, is, which is really interesting because like I feel like my motivation has more just been about like curiosity and, and exploring. That's that. exactly what it is, though. It's which like, not necessarily like looking for life exactly, but just you know being able to like, I mean, do things that people have never done before. That's true. And like you know, just I mean, going up and like even to the ISS, just you know, seeing Earth from like mm, <laughs> from, from above, yeah. sort yeah. of a thing is just. Uh, would be a completely amazing experience. I guess mine goes, like, in a different route, like, beyond that. I'm, like, because, like, one of my favorite thought experiments is, like, because we're, we're definitely a product of, like, our environment, right? So, like, Earth, we look this way because the Earth environment is like this. Like, we st- we're bipedal, like, we breathe oxygen, you know, all this. I think about, like, a planet, like, you know, that we've never even seen before. Like, but we know that it's two times the diameter of Earth, so gravity's probably higher. Like, maybe it's, like, a slightly thicker atmosphere with, like, slightly different change. A whole, whole bunch ke- of short people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a different change in short chemistry. People. But, yeah, but they, like, they're, they're, more, they're more stout and squat because the gravity's heavier. Like, their organs for breathing are different. Like, maybe I mean, it's, like, gills like fish. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, too. Like, if we were to... 
hopefully soon create a civilization on Mars, like what kind of evolution would that bring on in terms yeah. of like growing taller or like, you know. That's like one of the things that I've always talked about too is like humans in space, like because your body like puffs up more, that's why the astronauts face get puffy, is they're like, their body's like, oh, we've got too much blood. So like let's produce twenty two percent less blood, and so that's why they kind of get like the oh you got bones you don't need yeah. those anymore yeah and so like, <laughs> so like it lowers their bone density because they're not using it and like obviously that weakens their heart because it's not pumping as high of a blood pressure and so it's like you get all these combinations of things and then you if you were to go to Mars like it, you know if you lived on Mars there's actually an interesting series called um, what is it? the book is called Leviathan Wakes the Expanse mm. and the Expanse yep. the show goes into this a little bit which is always interesting where it's like if you're a belter and you're like on Ceres, which is a big asteroid, um, and you live there, like you're probably going to grow much taller because gravity is not going to be slowing you down. But if you go to somewhere on Earth where it's like high gravity compared to like an asteroid, like it's going to really hurt because you're being crushed slowly. Or like if you grow up on Mars, like you have no <laughs> you have no protection from UV radiation theoretically if you're like living out on the surface with like a suit. But then you go to Earth and it's like, oh, like this is like nothing. But the sun is more bright. So like you have to wear glasses all the time or else you're just going to go blind. It's like all these it's like that modification of like humans based on environment and like the thought of like alien life and like civilizations being out there. Because my dad introduced me to movies like 2001, Mm -hmm. like uh, Contact, you know, uh, Interstellar, all these other. It's like classic. Even thinking about all of these just gets me excited. What's a good one? Um, Life with Ryan Reynolds. I don't Life. know if you've seen mm-hmm. that one. <laughs> Is that the one on the ISS? I don't. It might be. Is it with like the little the alien? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a horror movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. They, I, they catch it from Mars or whatever with the robot arm, and then and then next like, thing you know, let's put this on our ship. <laughs> well, have you ever seen Apollo eighteen? No, that was a wasn't that the that horror, was a horror, horror one? movie? Too, yeah, yeah, I knew it that was that about one. like uh, it was like oh you know back in 1973 we <laughs> launched Apollo 18 and no one ever know, told you about it, and they're like oh we've never gone back to the moon because they shouldn't they should make a horror movie on what was that Apollo 13 where they had to put use a uh, duct tape to <laughs> yeah, yeah they should have <laughs> yeah. but it's like there's like space crabs on the moon and that's what <laughs> which, which <laughs> that's also a good question so if you could go to space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, astronauts typically get one item to bring with them. Mm. What item would that be? Mm. Where am I visiting? That's a good question. Doesn't matter. <laughs> one, no matter what, telescope. That's my answer. Mine would be duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there would be some, but like it's it's my duct tape. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think even the thought of like looking at Earth from like Mars is like through a telescope would be so surreal to me. Because, like, you know, we talked about the pale blue dot photo that Voyager took. Yep. And it's like we're looking at Earth as if we, as if any other part of the universe were looking at it, right? So it's like thinking about looking at it through a telescope where it's like you can see kind of like the blue marble and you can see, like, the, maybe some of the, the land masses and the clouds on Earth from Mars. That would be a completely surreal experience to me. I'm curious once there's like, you know, uh, more like space tours or like a hotel in space mm-hmm. or whatever it may be um, that people end up start starting to market off of. But like once more and more people are able to like go up and like see that perspective, what what would happen down here on Earth in terms of, you know, politics and, and like uh, relations between countries and yeah. just overall like you know focuses and personalities. That, and, like that is well, an interesting question because how would 
government work on if we started a colony on the moon than even yeah. ha- if we started a colony that's on, on Mars. That's a whole another thing too. Like no, the the, no poli- the politics that goes into yeah, like but mo- say the moon a is ours. Goes by <laughs> you know, and so there's a people treaty. that were born and raised on, on Mars. Mars. Yeah. Would they feel obligated, or would we have another, you know, seventeen? <laughs> would you start getting a pa- Would you start getting a passport to go back to Earth? Yeah, what? <laughs> I mean, like an intergalactic uh, passport. Yeah. Well, I mean, not intergalactic, but it'd be like <laughs> uh, interstellar. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> the interstellar passport. You know, from Earth, from Mars. Inter, I think, is between stars. Intra, I think, is in stars. Okay, I gotcha, so gotcha. I think that would be intrastellar travel. Now, what if we made like the ring from Halo? I don't think that'll work. <laughs> what, the one that wipes through. out all life or the one no, that No, 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 no. <laughs> so the one that ring Yeah, just, just a ring, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't think we could do it. Worth well, well, a like, shot. <laughs> not enough material on Earth to make it. Well, s- say the asteroid mining, and there's just all the refineries that, and oh, all of the that asteroid stuff. mining. There's enough material in the asteroid belt to do that. See, but can we do? It? Can we you, do it? You shot down the in tank. Time. You're of shooting course, down, I'm the shoot down the ring. Shooting down the tank every <laughs> single time. And yeah, the halo We're ring. We're always on the same page. The halo ring. Yeah, sure. We'll get. Oh, say, we'll say get right you, on you it. Totally automate it. You know, you got a bunch of drones out there in the middle of space collecting materials to bring it back, and then it's all automated. It's got to go back to Earth to refine it, or are you going to refine it in space? No, you refine it in space. Okay. You can so. use these. Uh, you, you don't even need to use a uh, fuel to heat the material up. You can mm-hmm. use the power of the sun. The power of magnify. the pizza can. I was, gonna, I was yeah. thinking the exact same thing. Like uh, Just a big old magnifying glass. Yep. Nope. Big piece of glass. glass. This is one of the most comical depictions of... <laughs> the most comical simplifications <laughs> of just manufacturing faster than light travel. I think I may have ever heard, by the way. I'm glad that you guys have dumbed this down for me. I think we should, uh. we should write a letter to NASA right now about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. I, I want credit for the magnifying glass theory. You did not come up with the magnifying glass. So I think we're uh, pulling up on time here. But, all right. Uh, we should uh, all remember. At least it's not rocket science. At least it's not <laughs> rocket science. At least it's not rocket science. And uh, before, thank you bef- so much for being here. Not a problem. It was it was a good time. Uh, before we go, what would be the item that you would bring with you to space? I was thinking about that. I think a watch. Just to. Track time. Compare it to someone back oh, down to on see Earth. Oh, yep. to see how much you you slow down. Much older exactly. Yep. That would be it my big thing. Better have the day on there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. But I think that would be my piece. Yeah. That, w- that would actually be a cool experiment. That is a really good idea, though. I don't know. We'll talk about some more of the f- the the what we're talking about with the speeding up and the time dilation. Uh, probably next time then. So, but yeah, that'd be a cool one. Thank you everyone for listening and I hope you have a good night. And, uh, and also this is our last episode for uh, season one. Yes. Season and, uh, one. Season Congrats. The next episode will be season two. So Woo-hoo. we're going to move into hopefully the president of AIAA as well as other faculty and other outside sources as in mentors.